We would start uh, 7.30 in the morning, we're in a hotel, we get together for breakfast, Laura wants us to start developing that sense of community, getting to know each other, the sense of trust that you have to have for this process because um, you're giving all kinds of positive feedback, but you're also providing constructive criticism and it has to be done in a way that is respectful, understanding. Welcome to another episode of the Fempreneur Marketing Podcast. Today's episode is an interview with a wonderful woman. She has an incredible story to share with you. So many, so many powerful takeaways from this episode. Her name is Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart. She's a retired RCMP officer. Cynthia's purpose is to help people find beauty in their brokenness. And you're going to find that she does a great job of that in this episode. Few important things to know about Cynthia is she took part in Fempreneur Marketing School without having any sort of a business in mind. She just had a message, she knew she needed to get it out there, and she trusted me to teach her some things about how to do that. But she does not consider herself to be a businesswoman. This community and this marketing school is for any woman who has a message to share. You don't necessarily have to have a business, so you're going to learn a ton about that feeling of which you may have right now where you you have something that's keeping you up at night you know that some of the experiences you've had you need to share them with others like you but you don't know how to take those first steps Cynthia has uh, conquered a lot of those those things she's busted out of her comfort zone on multiple occasions many of those times I've had the pleasure of being there to witness her do that and I'm so excited to share her with you she's also writing her first book and she has just come back from a writing retreat in Montana when I got to um, sit here on zoom in my office and spend some time with her and yeah I'm excited to share it with you so here we go so I saw some pictures and videos on your Instagram which by the way that was awesome and your Facebook, I was like, oh, she's posting on her stories. This is awesome. <laughs> so that was so cool to see what you were kind of like your hikes in the bush and like getting to see Laura Munson. Yeah. So cool. And it was, and I have to say, I appreciate what you taught me because I slow down and then I go back to the little voice memos you send me, which are awesome to remind me. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Now, how do I share that? So it's painful, but it's doable now. Whereas when you and I first started, it was painful and I couldn't make any progress with it. So yeah, I, and I was very proud of myself, I have to say, because yeah. I was able to do it. So it's starting to make sense slowly, but surely. Yeah, it's a five day retreat workshop, very intense. Um, five incredible women that, um, one from Australia, um, one from Oregon, um, Tahoe, is that Nevada? Uh, Tahoe, I think. Tahoe is Nevada, I think, yeah. Nevada, California, and uh, myself. And, you know, you spend so much time together and you support each other. And Laura is such an incredible teacher. And what makes her so good is that not only um, has she been a writer, but she also edits. So there's lots of people out there that are editors that have never followed the writer's journey. And so she's got both skill sets and her love of teaching and wanting you to be successful in whatever you decide that success is, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And you know, you just don't, 
you don't go to the retreat workshop and then leave and then it's over and done with. It's this relationship that is ongoing. So you become an alumni member of her um, writing retreat. You get the support of the other writers. So now what will happen is that we will uh, once a month um, get on Zoom, we will get together for two hours. And as we continue to work with our materials, she's also taught us how to um, look at the material and, and edit it at our level, obviously, um, to be able to help the writer um, continue on. So I recommend it to everybody, everywhere, <laughs> anywhere. It's absolutely amazing. Cool. And so I would like you to just briefly share the story of how you met Laura and how you came across her writing retreat and how you started writing. Sure. Um, it's an interesting story and it started at a chapters here in Calgary. There was a local author, Laura Lovett, um, had a book signing and she um, wrote two books. It's a psychological thriller and the books are incredible. And you read her books and then specifically went there to meet her as an author. Uh, no, it was a, the other way around. And it was my husband who actually said, why don't you go over and talk to her? Um, because I had written some poems that came to me as a result of my PTSD um, treatment. And I've never written anything before in my life. And I was just not understanding how do people get these ideas and then turn them into a book. So I decided, um, thanks to my husband's encouragement, to go speak with her. Uh, she wrote these um, two books and they were called Losing Cadence and Finding Sophie. And it turns out that she was a psychologist um, who wrote these two psychological thrillers. And she um, said to me, I told her about the poems and my story. I think I felt safe to talk to her because she was a psychologist. It's not that I go around at that point in my life talking to everybody about it. And um, she recommended Laura Munson's writing retreat. She had been to the retreat. Um, she wrote down her name and um, just said, e send her an email and she'll get back to you. And I actually didn't really think much of it because I thought, well, there's no way this New York Times bestselling author is going to respond to an email from me. And actually she did. So the next day I sent her an email. She responded back 24 hours later and um, a phone call ensued. We spoke on the phone for a lengthy period of time. And I sent her some of my um, some of my work, and um, that's where the connection started. So that was a year ago that I went to her first her first retreat. And the nice thing about a retreat, you do not. Uh, my fear was that I'm not a writer, and that I wouldn't be good enough, or I had no idea what that world involved. And for her, it's totally irrelevant if you have the heart and the interest. Whether or not you want to write a book, um, expressing and writing is so good for you that she will help pull out of you what's meant to be pulled out. She'll meet you where you are, where, you're, where you're, um, you should be met. And that experience for me was life-changing. And it was after that and the next year that things really started to change for me. I developed confidence in my ability to write. Um, we had discussed when I was on the retreat, um, this story that I have to tell, which was about um, being a female police officer, the, the struggles that come with that, um, my struggles with PTSD and being so incapacitated, I couldn't even leave my house to the point where I am now. 
And as you're aware, this past past four or five months from speaking at a conference with 750 people to winning a Women of Inspiration Award to attending this, it's just been incredible, the turnaround, all because that one day I went and spoke with Laura Lovett. So it was amazing. So book signings are amazing. They are. <laughs> Go to you book signings, people. <laughs> Soon we'll be going to your book signing, right? At some point. Uh, yes, at some point. At some point, you will be. Yes, and even for me to be able to say that is a big step. Cool. So I'm I'm on the path, um, moving into the book, and um, yeah, understanding the importance of the message, and and that's the nice part about this um, workshop retreat is that you have these other women who are reading your material. And you get to see these opinions from these people with different backgrounds and it filters into the same message. You recognize, wow, you know, I really do have a message to tell and people really are interested in it. So yes, very much so. Awesome. Well, so I recently had the, the privilege of getting to hear you uh, do not only kind of your your draft speech to a group of the fempreneurs on Zoom, but then I actually got to be there and see you present to I don't know how many hundreds of people at the first responders suicide awareness conference in Calgary. And what I was hoping today is that you could share this incredible story that you have that is your life. Go back to when you, you know, first encountered the, the RCMP and just kind of lay it out for us so that listeners can really get a feel for what you're all about. When I was 14 years old, I am, on my way home from a friend's house, I, I was molested. Um, and what I did is I, I packaged that up and put it away um, to be dealt with at another time. It, it wasn't convenient for me to deal with it. My parents had a hard time dealing with it, so it was better not even to think about it. Um, went to university, I became a summer student with the RCMP, and, and basically that is a program that was set up for uh, people in post-secondary um, education to learn learn about the policing world so if you became a lawyer or a social worker or a sociologist you would be better able to understand what things were like through the policing world mm -hmm. um, and so I spent a summer in that position and what I hadn't anticipated or expected was um, the treatment that occurred and I grew up in a family where men and women um, where the roles were not uh, specific to the gender. So my father cooked a lot of the major meals and the holiday dinners, and my mother was the one going out and about doing different things, and it was, it was actually a great way to grow up. So I wasn't really prepared for what had occurred, and um, that summer um, was extremely difficult for me, and, and it defined um, who I was before that summer and who I was after that summer and I was sexually exploited and assaulted and raped by um, a couple of the members that worked where I worked. So um, I had no ability to deal with it. My mother had died four months before that and I was still grieving her. And how do you, how do you bring up something like that? You, you don't, you're dealing with police officers. Um, over and above that, I had already applied to the RCMP, so I knew the reality of what 
would happen if I brought this up. So once again, I packaged it away, uh, put it on a shelf, left it there to be dealt with when it was convenient. It never happened. What it did do for myself though, is that when I went into policing, I was very aware of <clears throat> my role as a female police officer. Um, and I wanted to stay strong in that role, not to, I never joined policing to be a man or to police like a man. I joined it as a female to say, what do I have to bring to this job? Um, how can I approach things that might be different? And then working with men and women together, it makes policing awesome. It really, really does. We both have wonderful things to offer. I really focused on a lot of um, domestic violence, um, historical sexual assaults, amongst all kinds of other things in my career. And I know it came from um, the incidents that I had endured when I was younger. So um, I continued on in my policing career. Um, uh, I had lost my mother. That's another trauma that's put on onto the, uh, the shelf and worked through my career. There was lots of difficulties, lots of transfers, um, two small children, a divorce, remarried, uh, my husband ended up, uh, my current husband, who I've been very happily married to for 23 years now, mm -hmm. he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, we transferred and lived in four different provinces in five years. And uh, I was diagnosed with a very rare genetic disorder. And the end result of that was uh, I had to have open heart surgery. That was 10 years ago. Um, and obviously all these different things um, piled up and piled up and piled up. Yeah. And there was absolutely no self-care on my part. Um, we had a huge, we had a huge family. Uh, when I remarried, we had a blended family with five children, two cats, two dogs. And it was just total chaos, loving chaos. It was wonderful, but it was exhausting. Uh, my husband also a member so we were on shift work so it was this mess called life mm -hmm. that just piled up and piled up and if you don't um if you don't look after yourself and if you work in jobs or in life where you just don't deal with your emotions um, you're gonna break because we're not made that way and um, it's okay to be human and it's okay to feel and i didn't know that mm -hmm. and um, we're taught that as police officers. And, and to be quite honest, you need that to survive. Otherwise, your job will tear you apart. So when I first started, um, the first time that I ever had what I would call a breakdown was my was actually my first day when I showed up to work at the RCMP Training Academy. And um, my mind just told me that you can't do this, you can't teach, you can't learn the material. Um, you're not worthy, and um, I was exhausted. I couldn't function. Um, so I took three months off work. I was put off for three months. We didn't discuss PTSD in those days. It was just, I had had more than enough go on for people. I had had all these moves. Um, you know, we, we lightly discussed um, some of the things that had happened in my past, but not in depth. And it was just felt more like we needed rest. And yeah, because I know you really well, I feel like you're skimming over a couple things that I think are really important. So I'm going to ask a couple questions to kind of pull them out of you. <laughs> um, I I know that there I know that there's a stigma around PTSD. I've even watched a few people 
do the, I don't know, I know you can't say do a stigma, but <laughs> like I've watched people react to my telling of your story. You have finally found your voice. You are on Facebook and Instagram. You are writing a book. You've written these poems. You, you know, you're doing these things that you probably never thought you would be doing. And I know that your reason is because you want people to understand that this is a real problem in, in our world and and, in, in Canada for sure. And so talk a little bit more about what that looked like for you on the inside when other people maybe came out and said, I'm really struggling here and how they were treated and why maybe you didn't ask for help sooner and talk a little more about that. I mean, I need a little more emotion in your story. Yeah, (laughs) I know maybe you don't want to go there because this is a slightly different audience than what you, who you talk to in 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 the world, but it's not, not wanting to go there. It's deflecting. And that was one of, in my treatment, it was one of the things that um, was brought to my attention very quickly um, is to deflect from, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine, it's minor, it's, it's all those things. And, um, and I still do it. <clears throat> so, you know, part of the problem is the, the stigma around PTSD is that it's still there, it still exists. Um, there's still that sense that you're weak, um, that you're not worthy. Um, and, and, as a matter of fact, um, it was only about a month ago that somebody had indicated and said to me, <clears throat> how, do we, how do we get rid of the weak people? How do we get rid of the people who can't handle their job? And I was absolutely dumbfounded that in this day and age, that type of, an, uh, of a process about PTSD would be out there. Um, and it was, the comment was made by someone I would have thought would have known better. Um, anyhow, so the stigma still exists and it's still very difficult. We're trained to be strong. The type of job that we do, we're expected to solve everybody else's issues. Um, we never look inward. We never look at ourselves. So, um, it's, it's very difficult to say that you need help. And even myself, this far along in the journey, I still have moments where I have to talk to myself to remind myself that I'm human, um, we're meant to feel, and that um, I need to get this message out there because of the stigma and people are not speaking up. The misunderstanding about it or people thinking people use it, um, what was so interesting, and this was even in my own family, is so much of the image of what PTSD is, is is a Hollywood version. The lack of education around it, um, and I guess you could compare it to if if somebody has um, diabetes or somebody has MS, um, everybody has symptoms that present differently. And it doesn't mean it's any less, less MS, less diabetes. It just means they present in their own unique way. So PTSD is very much like that. And if you don't present in a certain fashion, um, then you won't be believed. And my issue, they, 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 I guess, called me high functioning with PTSD because I internalized everything. If somebody asked me, how are you doing? I'd be fine. Um, they'd say, oh, you know, you're happy-go-lucky, you're all these different things, but inside I was falling apart. And what that looked like, what, <clears throat> excuse me, was fatigue, 
um, a sense of being overwhelmed. I couldn't even make a decision. I couldn't pick, do I buy the black socks or the white socks? Just, you know, um, basic things. And yet when I was in policing, you're making life and death decisions, but all of a sudden I can't even make that type of a decision. Um, just not wanting to socialize with people, um, finding small talk exhausting. Just the idea that I would have to be around people for two or three minutes and just, hi, how are you? What's new? It was absolutely exhausting. So those are the types of things. It doesn't have to be something catastrophic that happens. And had I recognized a lot of those things earlier on, had I known about them, I could have started to address them. But it's easy to find reasons for them, right? Well, I'm tired because I work too much. I'm tired because I have kids at home. Um, I can't make a good decision because I didn't sleep last night. Um, you know, I deal with people at work all day as a police officer. No wonder I don't want to do the, the small talk. But there's a shift and a change um, in how you perceive the world. And if you, don't, if you don't understand it, you won't get it. With me, I focused on, I never had a clue I had PTSD. Absolutely. Even with all the different things that went on, because I saw it um, with tunnel vision, my husband, like I told you before, you know, um, moody, short-tempered, um, he didn't want to be around people, you know, so I looked at him, his symptoms, and that's all I thought it was. So I was absolutely dumbfounded. Which and, is part of the stigma, right? Like that's part of what people assume that the Hollywood, people assume PTSD looks like this. It, just it, were just like that, we have one version. So for all the people that think people play the system, um, you know, honestly, and, and even that comment, that comment in of itself, because everybody everywhere in life, you, you have pe people that take advantage of systems, right? This isn't a, you know, but the comment that, oh, it's just people taking advantage of a system is, to me, means that they don't truly understand the depth and the complexity of what PTSD is, and they have one vision and version of what it is. And... Um, to understand when somebody is struggling. I mean, you're, you're exposing the deepest core of who you are and you're exposing it and by acknowledging PTSD, um, you know that the public is going to think you're weak even though that's not right and they shouldn't and all those different things that come with it. And that somehow you feel like you're betraying the organization that you work for. And how do you explain to someone who has never had PTSD and doesn't have um, mental health issues, how do you explain that to someone that's never had them? How do you get them into your space so that they understand what you're going through? It's very difficult. And you have two types of people. You have the people who have never experienced that and they want to learn about it and they want to understand it. And then you have the other people who have never experienced it and go, well, that doesn't, or I went through the same thing and I'm fine without any understanding. So you have to want to understand um, what makes people struggle. So for me, what I was doing with my, the poetry is that my poetry that came to me, and you know, you know that story, Sorry, is letting poetry. people- I just want to say that again, because you're, you, you're kind of cut out a little bit when you were saying the word poetry. So I'm just saying, Poetry. <laughs> okay, so I will explain poetry. The poems that I wrote, it's not your typical 
poetry. Um, I awoke one night during my treatment and I had words bouncing in my head. Um, and my therapist had been trying to um, convince me to write. She thought it would be good for me. And I said, I don't write. I'm not that type of a person. This particular night I woke up and these words were bouncing in my head. So I just wrote them down in the journal that happened to be sitting empty on my bedside table for three weeks a month. And when I got up in the morning, I didn't, you know, I realized that I had written this poem, which was the pain of so many of the calls I had been on over the years. Um, and it showed the human, the human side of policing and the pain that we never discuss. Um, so that's the hard part. I want people to understand what it is that people go through that are first responders and military and these things that we, that we don't talk about. Um, and how do you break, how do you break the cycle if you don't talk about it? Another thing that I've discovered is that the more transparent I became about my struggle, the more people started contacting me and wanting to go for coffee because they had a story mm. and they felt safe to discuss it with me yeah. or had um, a friend or a family member and they wanted to understand, better understand you know, what goes on and how does it work and, and why didn't we know? Um, and my big answer to the why you didn't know is that if I don't know I have it, how is anybody else going to know? Mm -hmm. I don't even know I'm struggling. And that's one of the difficult components of PTSD is that people say, well, why didn't they get help? Why didn't Because you don't know, because you live in that world. You, you don't know anymore. And I want to come back to what you just said about the more you've been speaking out and sharing your story, the more people have been contacting you saying, hey, I need to know you better. I need to know more about this. Um, because what I wrote down a few minutes ago when you were talking um, about kind of discovering that you have this story and it needs to come out into the world. And I remember, you know, one of the first things that you said to me when we started, you know, talking about planning out the the social media aspect of you being you know a speaker and and an up-and-coming author and and you said that you really struggled with the idea of doing businessy entrepreneurial type things because you're like that's not why i'm doing this but at the same time you had these realizations of like oh i need to take the same steps that a business owner would if they were launching a business because this is not about money but it has to be treated like a business because there are steps involved in, you know, making sure that I don't have to go for 27 coffees a week and I can still have an impact on 27 people through my social media account, things like that. And so for those of you listening to this, um, if you don't consider yourself a business owner, but you have a message that is coming out in the middle of the night, like for you, Cynthia, where you have to write some things down and you, you know that there's that there's been this turning point in your life where you need to start getting it out there. You do need to get around women who are business owners because they think differently than people that maybe just have jobs and don't understand how to get a message out to the world. And that's why I would, you know, once again, I'm going to plug the Fempreneur Marketing School. It's free and there's lots of free information um, on the website, yycfempreneur.com. And I'm so grateful for women like you, Cynthia, coming in and, and using this process and this connection this group of women to do something a little different than what most are using it for it's really cool and it's well, cool for you to share your story well and and to 
support what you just said. Um, when I first um, made the decision to sign up and it was through a, another Fempreneur grad that you had that convinced me, um, like I thought I was absolutely going crazy because I'm not, I, all I could do was look at business, the word business. And to me, it, it meant one thing. Um, and that's not what I was doing. And that wasn't why I was doing it. But did I ever learn um, from your, your course um, whether or not my objective was to set up a business per se? Business um, can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. And that's probably the first thing I learned from your course. It's not just setting up a storefront or selling a product in the way that we're familiar with it. It's even having an idea and wanting to get an idea out there that you feel could change people and help people. And I still wanted to serve. Um, I served for all those years in the police force and um, I still wanted to serve, but I didn't know how to do it. So your course, um, you were, by the way, Lindsay is so patient and kind to anybody in my age group, <laughs> just saying. Um, and honestly, I had no idea about anything, anything, anything. And I would ask Lindsay and I'd ask her again and then I'd forget and I'd have to ask her again. And you were still so patient with me. So it really, it's true. It's, um, you need to get rid of that box of what a business looks like and, and a business can look like anything. And it doesn't have to be that you're selling a product. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, that's not what I was looking for. And I think um, if, if women can realize or men or whoever it is that are doing um, business, just that it's about an idea that you want to develop and get out to people and whether you want to do it for free, whether you want to make money, whatever that looks like to you, ultimately it's still a form of a business. So yeah. I've totally changed my opinion about that. Thanks to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thanks for sharing that because I think, I think what you're doing, you know, I, I know what you're doing actually is you're, you're building a community, yes. you're building a community of people who are, grasping for the same answers right and who want to be surrounded by other people that they can relate to and that's what you're doing and that's why it's so important it doesn't matter whether you call it a business or a community or an organization or an association yeah. or whatever it needs to have the same marketing you know sort of steps taken and and that's the thing that was so cool like I learned so much through my students like I learned probably as much as they do if not more because when you have these aha moments I'm like oh yeah like wow right so I'm so happy to have you on the podcast right now to be able to share that story um one thing that I wanted to ask you to tell because I love this story um I love the part where you know, because I think your husband is a lovely, lovely man. I think you two are just a match made in heaven and you guys are, and he's just wonderful. I mean, I like you too, but he's pretty wonderful. <laughs> and I think it's so neat how he figured out that he needed help with his PTSD and how he, he quickly realized you needed help too, but he wasn't really having much luck with getting you to, to kind of, you know, take that step and, and explore the the treatment process or what I don't even know so just tell a bit of that story about how he kind of worked with you to eventually get you there and yes he tricked you but please tell that whole story if you don't mind <laughs> okay um, well actually uh, the way it started is that I recognized that my husband was struggling 
first. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I was taking um, the little that I knew about those type of mental health issues with PTSD. I thought maybe he was fitting them and, and told him that um, he needed to go look for some support um, for someone that might be familiar with with. PTSD. So um, at, by the time we had gone through a few conversations about this, he, he recognized that he was having some problems. So he, he did go. And he actually went for um, about, I don't know if it was about six months to a year. And um, during that time, I was starting to have even more struggles um, than I had had before. And it's interesting, one of the struggles that I... I didn't realize it was a struggle, but I had had a very difficult um, call many years before that I had gone to where a a young child died. And um, that little girl's face and her eyes would greet me every morning when I woke up. And I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I looked at it from the perspective that uh, I was a police officer, bad things would happen, and you're going to have memories and, and that's it but I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Um, You know, crying at the drop of a hat, the exhaustion, whatever. So my husband um, had asked me at one point, you know, did you ever think maybe you had PTSD? This was a long time prior to me going in and I told him like, no, are you kidding me? So a few months later, he said to me, um, you know what, part of my treatment is couples counseling and it's just to, they recommend that you bring your spouse in so that they can explain to the spouse how you're doing, whatever. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, this sounds awesome. So. Oh, this is about you? Okay, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. So I was like, sure, no trouble. So I get in there and we start talking and, you know, I'm starting to pick up that maybe this isn't about him. And the counselor had said to me, um, um, we were talking for a bit and she said, you know, did you ever think about the fact you, you were also a police officer that you might have PTSD? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm good. I, I don't have any issues. And so she started to talk about things that my husband had, um, relayed in, you know, I was tired. I was having problems making decisions. Um, I could cry very easily. And then she brought up about the young girl and um, said, well, what about, you know, what about that memory or that face that greets you every morning when you wake up? And I said to her, oh, oh, you mean the little girl that greets me every morning? And I could feel the tears starting. And then I looked at her and by this point I was starting to sob. And I said to her, you mean that's not normal? <laughs> I had no idea. And that was, and that was the stop. That was the start. And she proceeded to explain to me that a you know a normal memory you retrieve it when you want it it doesn't sit in the front and is there forcing itself on you and that was the start the start of my journey where i i recognized and i was i was upset i was angry i was embarrassed i was i'm female and we don't do this was part of it as well because i was the police officer i was the mother and um, I was just the support for everybody. I had a um, disabled brother who I provided a lot of support to as well. There was just so many people in my life that I thought, well, no, 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 this can't be. And um, through the treatment, I finally started to realize that I am only human and I, 
I need to feel and grieve and hurt and cry like everybody else does. And after so many years of shutting that down, um, really your body just, it functions that way for a while, but until you can't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So, and that's where my, where my journey started. Thanks, wonderful husband. And having him in my life, um, I know that I'm blessed. And to have two people in the same household with PTSD is very interesting. (laughs) It was, what's wonderful about it is that they have an understanding at a level that somebody else doesn't. Um, But you also have to learn what his triggers are, what my triggers are, Um, There's a lot of work that needs to be done, but why would that be any different than anywhere else? Why would you not put the same amount of work into that as you would going to the gym, as you would parenting your children, um, as you would in your your job? I don't know why we don't, but we learned and we learned to do it. And he's, um, he's my best friend and I'm his best friend. So we're very, very lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So I kind of want to come full circle back to the writing retreat and the topic of writing a book. But first I want to, I want to mention something about your childhood that you haven't mentioned yet. And I think it's important because it's a very, uh, I think it's very front of mind for those who have this in common with you is that you were adopted. Yes. And that your, your disabled brother was also adopted. Yes, he was. And um, being adopted, actually, I learned that um, it is considered a trauma Um, So the people who eventually develop PTSD, there's a high percentage of them that have been adopted. And it's just because the, um, ultimately the child is separated from from the parent. I never considered that it would be an issue. I think I was three weeks old or or four weeks old, but um, obviously you have spent that time in your mother's womb and there is a separation that is not meant to occur. So it does doesn't mean that everybody who is adopted will develop PTSD. It's just another one of those contributing factors when you start to pile up a lot of things on life. Um, And yes, so my parents um, had their own Mm -hmm. biological child. um, And then when my mother was 38 years old, she decided she wanted to adopt another child. So she adopted my brother. He's not my biological brother. And then two years after that, um, I was adopted. So I grew up with my brother, um, who eventually completely lost his eyesight by the time he was nine years old. And just in that story in of itself, and you're right, Lindsay, it's probably the setup for part of the story is that um, having a disabled sibling has challenges in the best of circumstances. And um, what happened for me, and it's where I kind of learned that I needed to keep my emotions to myself and other people's feelings were, were more important was uh, one particular incident. Um, uh, do you want me to tell the hide and seek story? Um, okay. Is that I would play hide and, hide and seek with my friends in the neighborhood and I'd win sometimes or make home base and um, other times I wouldn't. And I would also play with my brother in, in the house. He, he liked to play, but I didn't enjoy it that much because he would always win. And um, 
because of course being blind is an advantage, right? And you're probably going, why? For anyone who's listening. Mm -hmm. So my brother's hearing was phenomenal. And no matter where I hid, he would hear me. He would hear me breathing. He would hear, we'd hear me moving and I would get very frustrated. So um, I remember one particular incident when I was nine years old and he was 11 and I came up with this brilliant idea that I was gonna hold my breath and then he couldn't hear me. So I tiptoed when he was counting eight, nine, 10, I tiptoed and I hid behind a curtain and uh, I had taken a quiet, deep breath and he came and started looking for me and it worked. He actually walked by because he couldn't, he couldn't hear me breathing and I wasn't moving. Problem was, obviously, I had to breathe again. So when I kind of gasped for air, um, he heard me and he came back. And he be he was very angry with me for for um, holding my breath. He said, you know, it's not fair. She's holding her breath, yelling to her to her parents. And then I said, well, it's not fair. He's blind, and uh, which sounds really funny. <laughs> But anyway, in the end, my parents were upset with me. They just felt that it wasn't fair that I had done that to him because he had enough struggles. And so they decided to blindfold me for an hour just so I could really understand what he was going through. And the sad part was I, I knew what he was going through and I watched, I saw people make fun of him and I saw all these struggles he had. Um, but I, it wasn't um, what my parents said to me that taught me something. It's what they didn't say that day. And on that day, they didn't say, it must be tough to have a disabled brother. It must be tough when you watch him struggle. It must be tough to see people make fun of him. Um, it must I, be tough to never win. Yeah, it must be lonely. It must be lonely. Okay. And just as a nine-year-old child, I just needed something. Um, nobody was interested in why I would do that. Why would I hold my breath? Why, you know, what was the bigger picture? So it was, it was what they didn't say. There was no validation that my feelings mattered in that moment. So in that moment, I learned to, to hide them, to put them on a shelf, and I learned that other people's feelings mattered more, and hence the caregiving. And I continued to live my life that way until I couldn't anymore. Mm -hmm. That's, that is um, how I was set up to uh, and then going into policing was perfect because you hide your emotions and um you care about everybody else's feelings not your own so it was very it was an easy transition to go into that i think too like for me i, I have some sort of similar memories to being a child and being the oldest so always having an advantage because you're the oldest and always being treated like you should put your younger siblings above yourself and like not to the extreme of what you described but still i do remember that feeling of and wanting to please my parents and wanting them to think that I'm awesome yeah. and, and going through my life, not, not talking about my struggles for a long, 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 long time. Mm. And finally, um, and, and not wanting to have a team because I, do, I can do this all myself and not feeling the need for community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'll say it aloud. I'm not very close with any of my family members. I'm just not. And what I discovered, you know, in the last year or two, I guess, probably more so in the last two years, is that I do need a community of people around me. And I need to be, um, I need those stories kind of pulled out of me in a way, because I'm, I'm, I've become really good at telling my stories now. But for the longest time, it was like, I'm going to be okay, fake it till you make it, I don't need any help you know, other than podcasts and books, <laughs> but like live people, you know, I was like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And, 
And for me, it was like finally just being able to say, you know, I don't have this and I do need help. And I do want people around me that I can celebrate their wins and they can celebrate mine and we can. And yeah, that just, that just kind of brought what you just shared kind of brought that out. And I think that is a big part of why my childhood experiences resulted in me sort of finally getting over all those things that I thought were true by, about myself and finally realize that, no, I, I actually do. Um, I don't just want to like impress people because I, I can do things on my own. I don't need help. I, I don't want that anymore. Like I don't know. I want to be part of a team, right? And so the fempreneur community was born, I think, out of that natural progression of realizing these things, right? It's like, oh, I would like to be around a bunch of ass kicker women. <laughs> well, you know what? That's actually, I'm glad you brought it up because that was one of the things um, that I recognized through the fempreneur was the sense of community. And I had lost that. Um, I had lost that when I left um, my career. And I had forgotten about how important it was, the sense of community and needing support from other people. And I think um, that today, that disconnect that occurs is impacting everybody. And we are meant, we're human, we're meant to have contact. And, and especially for women, we're, we're social, that's just part of who we are. Um, so the fempreneur group that I've met actually helped to launch me forward too and not be so hesitant about reaching out to people um and that was a big that was a big change for me because like you um i didn't know how to take my message and how was i going to get it out there and you can't do it alone you just cannot do it alone you need to reach out and the interesting thing is that people want to help and i mean for me it's very it's very difficult to pursue that because I'm so used to, um, because of my previous career, I'm so used to doing things for everybody else. That's just mm -hmm. what I did. But now all of a sudden I'm saying, here's something I'd like to do. And I, and I need support from people that I don't know. And I need to meet new people. And it's just been fantastic. The people that I've met through the YYC group, it's yeah. amazing. And the, and the retreat, because I do, I do kind of want to close off with coming full circle and talk about the retreat a little bit more because, you know, you sort of finding this, this community of female mm. writers, I, they're all female, I presume, right? Um, yes. Yeah. And yeah. And like for you to, to go to Montana and to be part of this like intensive retreat experience and kind of tell us the flow of the day. Like, what's it like in the retreat? Like, I know you've done two now, you did the first one and you've you made the cut and you got invited back. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, Haven 2 is, is meant to help people who are really set on developing their books. Um, it's a five-day five workshop retreat program. And we start out on a, um, what happens with the program, and I need to explain this before, before we actually get there, about a month before, we have each sent in at least um, 30, 30 pages of our manuscript. Um, to Laura Munson and then she disseminates it to the other participants she gives us a worksheet that is about uh, five pages long where we learn how to um, the editing process and in learning it it teaches us about writing it teaches us and we go through each person's manuscript um, and we find areas that she wants us to focus on, like areas where we found the book really gripped us and other areas where maybe it wasn't so much. 
um, things, big moments within the book or um, images that were just fantastic. So we go through and we, we um, use all of this and um, point it out. It's, um, we hold on to it and send it, um, yeah, we hold on to it till we get to the retreat. And then that's what we work on with other people. Mm -hmm. So we actually, um, the three very intensive days, um, we would start uh, 7.30 in the morning, we're in a hotel, we get together for breakfast, Laura wants us to start developing that sense of community, getting to know each other, the sense of trust that you have to have for this process, because um, you're giving all kinds of positive feedback, but you're also providing constructive criticism and it has to be done in a way that is respectful, understanding uh, where the person's coming from and, um, and in order to do that, you're building relationships while you're developing all of this. And so we're there all day. Um, she provides a beautiful, so we actually go to her house we're shuttled to her home. She has a beautiful home. And um, we sit around in a, just a wonderful environment, which is very supportive of the creative process. Um, she provides a beautiful lunch for us. And um, we're back at class again in the afternoon. We go for a walk um, out in nature in the Montana mountains, which is great. And then we go back to the hotel at the end of the day. Um, we're, we take a two hour break, we go back to her home again and she cooked us beautiful meals. And with that, um, what happens is you just have discussions. You just have discussions about your books, you have discussions about uh, what is the process like to market and publish and just, just general conversation. Uh, but you're also, building rapport with everybody. And um, we would typically get back around 10 o'clock at night. So they're very long days, um, but they're very, um, you're not overwhelmed because everything is managed very well. And we each get um, our own time to um, have the other people go through our material with us. Uh, we get time to read, actually read um, some of our material to everyone. It's actually an incredible experience. It just is absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, I was saying to Laura, I wish it's so hard to get, make people understand how incredible it is and how you don't leave saying goodbye. You leave knowing you've got a team mm -hmm. and we'll have in about a month's time, we'll have our first meeting over the phone um, and just the support and love and sense of community and connection is, is there. So it's, it's amazing, absolutely amazing experience. So awesome. for everybody out there hearing this, this yes. Be, <laughs> yes, yes, Laura Munz. I'll, I'll actually in the, uh, in the wrap up little blurb that I'm going to do, I'll make sure to put her, her website in there and make sure oh, I get it right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, and I'm going to make sure to connect everyone with you, of course, Cynthia, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I'm looking forward to, um, you meeting some new people from coming on the podcast. It's going to be great. And thank you. just thanks for being in the community and for just, you know, being willing to step out of your comfort zone to do something that really matters. And thank you for, um, lifting up women and helping us to find a voice and giving us a form to, to have a voice and for people like me that um, you know how far to push me <laughs> and then because I've always said to you I need someone to pull me along mm -hmm. and you do and you just have a really good way of um, 
helping me recognize that I'm capable of doing things I didn't think I could because this is so new. And I am, and I, I want to add, um, you do it in a way, um, my PTSD is chronic and I've learned how to manage it. Um, but I, I have times when it's more difficult than others and you're just so respectful of working with me at a level that I can work at and I really appreciate it. So for anybody out there who is looking for just a great um, person to take them from where they are and, and, and just move them on through, it would be Lindsay, NYC Governor. Thanks, girl. And she did not ask me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a prerequisite of being on the podcast. <laughs> That's just me coming, coming from there. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'm so happy again that I got to introduce you to Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart. You can find her at Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart on Facebook and Instagram. Last name is spelled U-R-Q-U-H-A-R-T. And you can also find the Lauras, Laura Lovett and Laura Munson. Laura Lovett is based in Calgary and her website is Laura Lovett, L-O-V-E-T-T dot C-A. She has written a couple of really amazing books that are being considered for a movie right now called Losing Cadence and Finding Sophie. So that's two books. The first is Losing Cadence and the second is Finding Sophie. And as Cynthia shared with you, Laura Lovett introduced her to Laura Munson. And you can find Laura at lauramunson.com, M-U-N-S-O-N. She has those incredible writing retreats. I'm going to check one out someday soon. And if you're listening to this and you feel like you need a community and you need some marketing education, why don't you head over to yycfempreneur.com right now. First of all, you want to grab the free marketing education tool that's waiting there for you called the Fempreneur, Mar Fempreneur Marketing Foundation Guide. It's a free eight-page guide that I've created for you, teaching you some of the most foundational marketing concepts that I wish I would have known years before I figured them out. But anyways, better late than never. And those are yours for free. You're also going to learn about the Fempreneur Marketing book. I've got an amazing team of Fempreneurs behind me helping me build this book. And it is going to be out January 31st, 2020. So you can get your hands on one of the first printed copies of the book by buying the pre-sale right now. And you're going to get some incredible free gifts, $167 worth of free stuff if you buy the pre-sale of the book. That includes three months access to a brand new Facebook community that I'm launching on November 7th. And that is going to be a place where you can connect like you know you need to with other female entrepreneurs and learn a ton of valuable marketing stuff. So head over to yycfempreneur.com right now.